Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret. My name is Jeff Sharon, along with me, my usual cohorts, Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez. And joining us now to talk some big time basketball news, the one, the only number one in your hearts, number four on your roster program, Mike O'Donnell joining us here for the first time uh, in a while. Hi, Mike. How we doing, guys? Thanks for having me. Glad to, good to see you. How's, uh, how's quarantine life treating you? You know, uh, I think, I don't even know how you answer that question anymore, right? Because it just <laughs> seems new every day. But um, I am, uh, as you know, Jeff, you've known me for a long time. I am probably uh, inappropriately, like, uh, optimistic with everything. And so, you know, a family is healthy and happy. And even though the kids are driving me absolutely crazy, it's, I get to make up for some lost time from a lot of traveling during college hoop season. So I'm very thankful for that. I am very tired, but we are, we're healthy and happy. So uh, I consider that a blessing. Well, it's good to see you. I'm glad everybody's doing okay. We got uh, Brian and Eric are here with us. And um, the reason why we brought you out, and first of all, thanks for spending time with us. It's been a while. And um, we were looking forward to seeing, you know, well, Last time we were talking basketball with anybody, it was everything was getting shut down. But you know, it's been a wild off season. But the wild off season just got a little bit wilder uh, with uh, the news from uh, UCF that we've got a new uh, that the first ever five star in the history of UCF is com- is coming over as a transfer. CJ Walker, who um, is originally from Sanford, uh, played at Oak Ridge. Uh, went to school initially at Oregon and uh, decided to put up, put up a post a couple of days ago saying that he wanted to be a little bit closer to his family and has now announced that he is committed to coming uh, to UCF um, and is the first ever five-star in, uh, in UCF history. Granted, not out of high school, but whatever, we'll take it. Um, <laughs> what, first of all, when you heard the news that he was coming down, what'd you think? Well, I, you know, it's, it's such a huge addition to the roster. It's a much needed addition to the roster. I think coach Dawkins has learned, you know, um, uh, it's hard to, right. It's just, it's the nature of the business, right? It's really hard to get those guys, um, right out of high school, right? Cause you might be going to the Oregon's Kentucky's Duke's, you know, Carolina's, but there is a ton of talent in Orlando, and if it doesn't work the first year, I think everybody it, – it's, it's, I think for C.J. Walker, it probably – you've got to understand that he was recruited hard by Coach Dawkins and his staff coming out of high school. Um, but I think when, you, when you're showing a lot of love coming out of high school and then you go to a situation that – you think you made your best decision and it didn't work. And then you're like, wait a second, I want to go to where I'm comfortable and where I think my gut felt right. Um, I think it was a pretty easy decision for him. You know, I think he had a great relationship with coach Dawkins. You're getting to get a chance to play in front of your family. And I mean, that's the guy that, that your average basketball fan in Orlando will want to watch because just of how, athletic and 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 his potentials kind of through the roof so I was ecstatic to see him come back to his hometown uh, hometown team 
Yeah, he's listed at uh, 68200. Last year for Oregon, he played in uh, 15 excuse me, he played in 28 games, uh, averaged 4 points and uh, two and a half rebounds uh, in, you know, obviously relatively limited action, uh, only 14.9 minutes per game, but you know, all you got to do is just do a quick little search on YouTube and see how athletic this guy uh, really is. Go ahead, Brian. I know you, you wanted to ask Mike. Well, I just think, Mike, in general, when you talk about C.J. Walker and what he brings, is, is, it, is, is, he the, is, is he the best player of the Dawkins era? And if so, has there been a player of this caliber, just athletically, naturally gifted, that we've seen at UCF? Uh, that second question is a really hard question. I'm going to think about it while I'm answering your first question. By the way, your beard is fantastic, Brian. It's, it's outstanding. <laughs> Thank I you, Mike. That. I've been trying to tell him this for, no, for, for well, weeks now. I say, I'm just, I, I always have beard envy because I feel like I'm still going through puberty and I just can't do that. I would love to do it. It just, I don't have the, I don't have the enough testosterone in my body to pull it off. So well done, my friend. Well done. <laughs> um, so, um, I don't uh, – we, we, you can't say he's, he's going to be the best player in the Dawkins era because we just don't know yet, right? I mean, I think even CJ would tell you that he didn't play – I think if you asked CJ, he would tell you, I didn't play to my potential that first year at Oregon. Um, <clears throat> I think he, along with Dawkins and the rest of the coaching staff, is going to learn how good CJ Walker can be. Um, I do think he is a guy that – absolutely has all the tools to be an NBA player. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ask me right now if he's going to be the best player in the Dawkins era, I would say no because we haven't seen him in a system that's conducive to his abilities, right? I mean, you guys know, I mean, you guys, you guys know this game so well. Like, you know, there are some guys that are just freaks. Like, you put LeBron in any system and he's going to be LeBron. Um, but even five-star guys – they need a system that will allow them to showcase their skills, right? That's all great. You know, every coach wants the right players and their system and all that stuff. But if you look at Oregon's system, if you remember that team, that was heavily, heavily relied upon Preyton Pritchard, who was mm-hmm. one of the best players in college basketball. And he's a ball-dominant guard. It's a lot of ball screen. He's taking shots. Um, you know, and, and it survived. Oregon was a very good three-point shooting team. And I think with Dawkins, when I looked at you, C.J. Walker, and you say – I'm getting a little off track here, Brian, I'll come back to it. When you, when you look at um, C.J. Walker and, you know, and you pair him up with Colin Smith, what did Coach Dawkins prove during the greatest year in the history of UCF basketball? He proved – that he knows how to coach size and athleticism. And I think if you're CJ Walker, you're like, I love that because coach Dawkins, like there, there are guys just, there are some coaches that wouldn't know how to coach taco fall and Colin Smith and Chad Brown together. Coach Dawkins did that. So when you look at with CJ Walker, I'm excited to see how Dawkins uses him. It's, it's less about using him, and it's more about putting in a position for him to be successful. And that may sound cliche, but it's not easy to do. Some coaches just don't do it, right? It's, it's just your offense or, or not. The, so, the, but then, so to, it, to sum up, I can't say he's going to be the best player that Dawkins ever coached, but I absolutely can't say that there's a really good chance that we might be saying that in two years. Um, 
uh, in terms of athleticism, I would have a hard time arguing against from just a recruit standpoint, him being the most athletic recruit that's ever come into UCF. Now, Jermaine Taylor was just an absolute freak and an animal. You know, the, the David Dykite was just a, a ridiculous athlete. Um, you know, uh, Aubrey Dawkins was an amazing, was an amazing athlete, but it's going to be hard. I think when he suits up, if he gets eligible, which I think he will immediately, I think it's going to be hard to find someone more athletic than CJ. It's pretty cool. Yeah, wow, they, do to, they do have to cross that hurdle, right, with the eligibility still. But you're thinking that he'll get he'll get through okay. If I had well, who knows coin, really, right? If I had to flip a coin, um, if he's transferring because of the pandemic and to be closer to home because of family, because there might be health concerns. Mm. I would be surprised if the NCA didn't, <clears throat> didn't work with that. If he transferred home just because he wanted to be closer to home, right. That's a harder thing to pull off, but we are in a pandemic. You know, I mean, yeah. you, sh- I, this is, this sounds terrible to say, but you should use that, use that to your advantage if you're trying to play right away. Yeah, that would make sense. Give us a comp on what kind of player he is you think. You've mentioned – you even tweeted it out when uh, the news came out that you think if he's eligible that he'll help UCF maybe have the best front court in the American. Oh, yeah. uh, so those are my two questions. Give me – give us a comp either of a previous UCF player or maybe just a college basketball player in general that you would compare him to so that those that may not be familiar with him can kind of relate to, oh, that's the type of player he can be. And then why do you feel that – uh, how he will fit with Colin and then the rest of the front court that you think could be the best in the, in the league. So a player comp I, I would use for <clears throat> CJ Walker. He, he doesn't play this hard yet. Uh, but the, when you, I've been at practices and I know coach, coach Dawkins. Well, you don't have choice. You're either going to play, you're going to play to your uh, um, uh, biggest potential in terms of effort your highest effort potential for Dawkins, you're just, you're just not going to play, right? He's, he's old school in that standpoint, which I love. Um, I think it fits the UCF brand really well. Um, he, he doesn't play as hard as Kevin Garnett, but when you're talking about length, athleticism, and kind of skill around the rim, he has Kevin Garnett qualities. I'm not saying he is Kevin Garnett, but the way he moves, the way he jumps, the way he can guard, multiple positions reminds me a lot of like how wiry and athletic and long Kevin Garnett was coming out of high school. I, I, there's a lot of that in his game. Um, and, and the, the front court conversation, the reason why I tweeted that out is if it was just CJ Walker, I would say, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said that if it was just CJ Walker and Colin Smith, I may not have tweeted that out, but what a lot of people are forgetting is how important, Important Sean Mobley is going to be to this UCF team. Um, he has one of the best basketball IQs that I've ever been around. He is totally opposite of Colin Smith and uh, CJ Walker in the way that he plays. He is a point forward in that if you ask Sean Mobley to bring it up the court, initiate the offense, he could. And then if you asked him to sit to initiate to be in a pick and roll, he could do that. Where you know um, uh, he's a better perimeter shooter than Colin Smith, um, but he's not as he's not as athletically gifted. 
but he is when you know when I watch him at VCU and I've known Sean for a long time, Sean's one of the best passing forwards in college basketball. I believe that his vision, the way he orchestrates is fantastic. And a lot of it's not going to show up in the stat sheet. He is the, he might be the best hockey assist passer uh, for a, for a big man, quote unquote, big man I've ever seen. Um, He is all about the offense first. And he's less about his stats. And that just complements Colin Smith so well already. It was already going to be a really good backcourt, excuse me, frontcourt. Then you add C.J. Walker in, who plays more above the rim than Colin Smith and Sean Mobley do combined. Um, You've got a guy who's just ferocious around the rim. You've got Colin Smith, who's so good in the one-on-one. And you've got Sean Mobley, who can step out to the three, and he can drive a kick like he's a guard. So the high-low capabilities, you know, um, the way you, there's going to be mismatches, you know, if you're utilizing it correctly, it's going to be hard to emulate. It's going to be hard for an opposing team to emulate that in practice. Looking at the um, potential starting five for next year, Mike, so I'm thinking based on what you were saying with the front court, it's going to be Colin, uh, it's going to be C.J. Walker, and, and, and the news that Colin Smith is, com- is coming back was obviously welcome news to everybody in the last couple of days. And then, uh, and then you're also saying that Sean Mobley will also start in the front court. And you're thinking, are you thinking also uh, it'll, in the backcourt, it'll likely be Darius Perry and Darren Green Jr.? Is that what you think would be a good starting five, at least to start out? That's a heck of a starting five. I mean, yeah. that's a top five starting five, at least in the American. Um, uh, Darius Perry's really good. Um, didn't you remember he signed up for a different system? Uh, you know, he signed up under a Patino system. Um, and then that system changed when Chris Mack became the head coach. Um, so again, we talk about guys are really talented. There's plenty of talent, but a lot of times the, the, the system can really benefit a player. Um, <clears throat> he is so good in the open court. He's so good one-on-one and just a ridiculously underrated passer. You know, a guy like Darius Perry will probably want – he's going to want to average 20 a game, but he could average 10 to 12 assists a game if, he's, if, if he totally embodies the point guard system. Because think about, you know, think about the way the court is spread, right? So um, if you're trying to spread the court out and Dawkins loves ball screens, so you're telling me you've got three guys on the court at any given time that can be in a ball screen with Darius Perry. So um, if it's Colin Smith, he's going to pick and roll and catch mid-range and do his thing, right, or, or around the rim. If it's C.J. Walker, it's pick and roll, throw it up anywhere around the rim, and he's going to go get it. And if it's Sean Mobley, it's probably going to be pick and pop. So you've got to prepare for pick and pop, pick and roll, pick and lob with three different guys. I mean, that's, that's tough. So, yeah, Darius Perry would absolutely – be the starting guard. And then if you're worried about the role action so much, just stick Darren Green on the other wing and it's skip, skip, skip. And he's the best, he's the best three-point shooter in the American Conference, uh, entering conference play. So that would be the starting lineup. And then you got Tony Johnson coming off the bench uh, as, um, as well as a number of other guys. And I just think it, this, this, is, this is an awfully talented lineup. It, it really is. 
Yeah, there's so many options. Even I thought, I, you know, yesterday we were kind of going over this in some of our group chats, and I mentioned that Dre Fuller could start, but you got also Brandon Mahan, and, and there's just a ton of guys. Well, um, think about the bench. Brian, to your point, think about the bench. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. Like, like, to me, to me, Darius Perry, it, it, I just think it's a, he's going to be the starting point. It's a no-brainer. And Darren Absolutely. Green, you're not going to have the best three-point shooter in the American Conference come off the bench because you're also going to want to spread the floor so you've got more room for the bigs to operate around the rim. The guys you just mentioned, coming off, uh, Dre Fuller and Brandon Mahan coming off the bench, not to mention the freshmen, who are also really talented. This is this is this you we could see the makings of the most talented team that Coach Dawkins uh, has ever coached, at least on par on par with the B.J. Taylor, Aubrey Dawkins, Taco Fall team. It's it's pretty close from top to bottom. Health, Isn't that, it, 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 that's big. That's huge. That's a big statement you just made there. I mean, that's yeah. uh, I think that's very well, because, as you know, I mean, there's people out there that have been well, can Coach Dawkins recruit? Uh, I think this is an exclamation point answer of yes, he can after putting this roster together here, not just with the transfers, but even the freshmen and guys like the Darren Greens. They've really been mixing in all these guys. Not easy, though. Uh, Not easy to find PT for everybody. Guys get frustrated, right? Um, uh, Not easy to find shots for everybody. Um, I don't – the thing to where this UCF team is going to be most successful um, is they're – if I was to take a guess, I wouldn't want to have a go-to guy on this team. Um, if, if, you, if this UCF team, especially if C.J. Walker, again, that's something that we do have to keep saying, if he is immediately eligible this season. Um, do all of those guys want to be a piece of a puzzle to get back to the NCAA tournament? If they can honestly answer that question, they can say yes there's just not many teams that are going to be able to stack up with them from a front court. And there's not many teams that are going to be as deep. If your eighth, ninth guy coming off the bench was Florida's Mr. Basketball, that's, that's big time. I mean, I mean like that's, that's really, really good. So, so that's exciting to think about as fans, right? And it's exciting to talk about from a radio podcast perspective. Now comes the hard part for Coach Dawkins. How do I take this amoeba and put it into and put it into a shape that's ultimately going to be consistent, right? And is going to um, is going to provide enough PT, enough points, enough confidence for everybody to commit to the larger vision. It's not easy to do, but I would rather have that problem. Than, um, than, have been frust- than being frustrated of where are we going to get points from, where are we going to get shots from, right? right. It's a double-edged sword there. Well, well, what, I mean, oh, go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. Well, well I, I think everybody should have faith in Johnny to handle all those moving parts because that does come down to coaching. That's and, what you signed up for, right? Uh, right. It's the, and that's his job, and he's so good at that. And, you know, you look at his tenure here, in, in, in years in which UCF maybe fell short of expectations, you could not put an ounce of that on coaching. Uh, it's never been his fault for anything that they've come up short on. So when they've got the pieces in place and they're healthy, please, uh, things work out because he's really good at putting, at putting these pieces together. 
Um, I, agree, I agree with that. I think Coach Dawkins would always blame himself, though. He's just that old school wired guy, you know, which is honestly, it's refreshing to me. Um, I don't think we get enough honesty, you know, from coaches. Uh, so. Well, that's one of the things that also that, I mean, and, and this goes cuts across sports too, Mike, is that, you know, I personally have always thought that the mark of a good coach is they adapt the system to their players, not the players to their system. Right. And I think that there are, yeah. there are coaches who come from both schools and have very good reasons for doing that. But, you know, Johnny has, has proven himself to be the guy who likes to adapt the, his system to those players. You're, you're, you play with the hand you're dealt, right? The offense and defense of the NIT team versus the NCAA tournament team was totally different. Yeah. With a lot of the same guys, you know, um, and, and that's, that's what coaching is. Your, your job is to adjust to win, uh, not to adjust to be comfortable. Obviously, CJ made this decision, and he's stated explicitly that he wants to be closer to family. He has some, some ill relatives that he wants to be closer to. But can you see, Mike, his decision to come to UCF maybe open up the eyes of this class of athlete and, and show them that you, see, that you can come to UCF? You can be a top 30 national prospect and, and, and go to UCF. It's, that this is, we, we, we can make you here. Or do you think that this is a kind of a one-off special exception? Um, I don't know if it's – I don't think it would be a one-off exception. I think, we'll, I, I think the reality for the next couple of years is it's still going to be really hard to get those guys coming out of high school. Um, but I think it, it kind of in parallel with the reality of what I just said, I also think like the former five-star recruit that maybe went to a Kentucky or Kansas that didn't have, especially this, this, a Central Florida, because Central Florida basketball town's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, uh, goes into a system that's like, I went for the name and I didn't study the system. You know, that's, that's really why most guys actually transfer. They go for the name and they don't research the system. Um, I'm going to, I'm a testament to that. Um, the, uh, um, I think you'll see the transfer market flood a little bit more, you know, for UCF. And now too, Brian, you gotta, you gotta think about players are recruiting other players now more than ever. Mm -hmm. um, as, you know, you look at, you know, the AU team that CJ Walker played for the high school. I mean, it's just constant, you know, uh, big time recruits that come out of those programs. And now more than ever, you want to play with your boys. You want to play with your buddies and absolutely, C.J. Walker could be a guy that I think he would, you know, um, if you're a coach, you've got, you still got to recruit, but I think players want to play with their, with their boys now. More, I mean, and I think, it's, I think we're seeing more recruiting, you know, player to player at, than we've ever had before. So that, that could be a, uh, even a bigger, um, a brimmer, bigger frame of reference, Brian, as well. Uh, I want to ask you, you mentioned earlier Mr. Florida basketball, which normally that in itself is exciting. Isaiah Adams, first ever Mr. Florida basketball to play at UCF. Uh, B.J. Taylor was a runner-up in 2014. Tell us a little bit about him because that's also a big noteworthy recruit. I mean, this is, uh, to me, in a lot of ways, a historic offseason for UCF basketball from a recruiting standpoint. 
Yeah, um, so he is, uh, Isaiah Adams, you're exactly right. I mean, it, it really is maybe the best recruiting year now that you count C.J. Walker in the history of UCF. Um, Isaiah Adams is, he's not a guy who's going to come in and give you 30, right? Um, what people rave about and when you watch him play is that his motor is off the charts good. And that's what really attracted Coach, Coach Dawkins uh, to Isaiah Adams is that he's, uh, he lives to block shots. Um, he is the, you know, you know, we always talk about the gazelle out there on the court. You know, when he runs, it, 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 he's one of those guys he runs and it looks like he's floating, right? Or he's floating around the rim. There's a lot of similarities between C.J. Walker and Isaiah Adams. Um, it's almost like Isaiah is a little bit of a younger version, except Isaiah is a fantastic, fantastic rebounder and gets – probably almost half of his points off rebounds. I mean, he is a guy who catch a re in high school, grab a rebound defensively, push it, in the push, push, push it in full court and go dunk on the other end. Now, probably not going to happen as often in college, but um, his motor and his ability to glide like effortlessly is what really kind of attracts a lot of coaches to his game. And you want that guy out on the open floor. You want him – with a really great passing guard, right? You want him with a guy who can find him in the open floor, catch rip at the three-point line, get to the rim, you know? And he's going to – he's got a little bit of that – you know, Aubrey Dawkins will make – remember we watching him play and he would dunk and you'd be like and, – and the average fan would be like, oh, nice dunk. But guys that know Hooper, like, that was insane. He makes things – he makes, like, the, the good look average – that's kind of Isaiah, like athletic plays. He makes, he makes the really good athletic play look average. And um, he's, a special, he's a special kid. He really is. Yeah, I think back to that, to, to the, obviously the, the Duke game and, the, and you know, Aubrey's final game. And I think back to his performance that day was, he, like you said, he made it what he was doing look easy and so smooth. And that was against NBA talent. And when you compare that to Isaiah Adams and how, and you mentioned obviously uh, his love for blocking shots and rebounding, not too bad for a kid who's listed at six, six, that he plays that much higher above his height. Right. Yeah. He was a 20 and 10 guy in high school. You know, yeah. He was 20, 20 points, 10 rebounds. <clears throat> you got to have a motor. I mean, rebounding is no, no, okay. This isn't good podcast, uh, you know, material. But like, yes, it is. It always ninety-five percent <laughs> of rebounding is. It wasn't on you. It was on me. Ninety. <laughs> you know, I'm a geek about this stuff. Ninety-five percent of rebounding is effort. You know, you can you can have the best boxing out form all you want, but if you don't have the effort, and if you don't have the, if you have to combine effort and anticipation. And you can't just have one. It doesn't work like that. You've got to be able to split the two. It's got to be even. Um, well, I mean, it doesn't have, you have to have, if you're going to have effort, you have to have a huge amount of anticipation and, and, and understanding where the ball is going to go. But you love that as a player like this because that, to me, a guy like that, if a guy's a great rebounder, there's a really good chance he's coachable um, because that just means that, most great rebounders are doing the work that nobody else wants to do. And there's a little bit of self, there's some selflessness in that, that I think is attractive to a lot of coaches. But further on that, you've got, again, we go back to the talent of this team. 
Mr. Basketball of Florida, right? Uh, on paper, you were the best high school basketball player in the state of Florida. You're going to come off the bench. What do you do with that, mm -hmm. right? You know, wh will his effort be tainted because all of a sudden he's not the guy? How does how will how will Coach Dawkins and, and coaching staff you know um, motivate him and use that and try to teach him that you know you're playing behind a potential all conference guy you know you're playing behind a potential uh, a, a five star I mean it's you've got to you've got to think about all that stuff where it's exciting but he's coming on he's probably going to come off the bench he might start again Coach Dawkins one thing about Coach Dawkins I've you you guys have seen how often the lineup changes. If you don't bring it in practice, you just you're not playing. You're not playing. So could a guy like Isaiah Adams come in and start? Absolutely. Like if he beats out Sean Mobley in the starting lineup, I mean it's it's going to be because of effort and practice. Yeah, I mean if you look at other Mister Florida winners, those guys like you know recently like Vernon Carey's and Kevin Knox, those guys came in and were the guy from the jump, right? And so he needs to adjust to that. Um, and that comes down to coaching too. Could you you don't I know Dawkins does like to redshirt the freshman you wouldn't see that Isaiah might be redshirted I'd be shocked I'd be yeah. shocked yeah I just I, I just think you know with all this talent now it's it's a guy like that you, you probably don't want a redshirt because a guy like that could start for you you know mm -hmm. where the redshirt comes in is if he if you don't know where you're going to find playing time if you're unsure if he's physically ready, if you're unsure if his skills are going to translate, if you're unsure if you're even going to find him five minutes. With a guy like Isaiah Adams, this again, I'm not speaking for Coach Dawkins. I just think when you've got that much talent, when you've got that great a motor, he's a Dawkins guy. Like that, those are the guys you want on the floor. You know, him backing up Colin Smith, how great is that? If you, you substitute out a guy's potential all-conference player for a Florida Mr. Basketball. Like, that's, that's a great thing, you know. So I just don't think – I can't see it. Um, I can't see it happening. We'll be back with more with Mike O'Donnell after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Let's return to our conversation with Mike O'Donnell. All of this is obviously contingent on whether or not we have a full season, of course. Um, reality as it is with COVID-19 and obviously we're still in early July a lot can happen between now and November but we're still kind of you know things are at least right now not exactly training in the right direction here in the state of Florida um you've talked to coaches you've talked to players uh, all throughout this offseason you've you've got a sense of what's going on what is the general sense of coaches and administrators that you know about what kind of a season we're going to have this year, assuming it, assuming it goes off? Well, first, most players want to play, but also most players don't really have an idea of what's going on. That's just the reality. Um, coaches, uh, most coaches are wired like, um, hey, my finger got cut off, but I'm just going to put a Band-Aid on it, and <laughs> I'm, I'm going to coach the next day. Right? That's the way coaches are wired across – basically every single sport, you know, especially football. Um, this is just uncharted territory. Here's the way you've got to look at it. And this is, this is talking with a lot of coaches, a lot of ops directors, a lot of administrators. Um, 
it's not about the virus. And, and, it's, and I say that to say I'm not taking light of it. I mean, everybody's taking it seriously. It's about the logistics and the protocols that go along with how you operate inside of a pandemic, right? So here's a really good example. Um, I won't name the team, but there's a, there's a team. I'll just say it's not UCF, okay? But there's a team a lot of other schools are following. And right now, here is the setup. The player tests, tests positive. That can be asymptomatic or symptomatic. It doesn't matter, right? player test positive, that player has to sit out, right, for two weeks. I'll come back to that in a second. She got two weeks of quarantining. Then you have to contract trace the day before. Who is that player with? Okay, let's just use football as an example. If football, uh, if that player was with 12 of the football players, those 12 football players are now being asked to quarantine for a full week. So you've got – 13 football players at least out a week, okay? You can't have a season like that. Um, and then if you follow even further, what a lot of schools are doing is after someone tests positive, you go through a two-week additional conditioning quarantine to test your conditioning and make sure your respiratory levels are not dramatically or affected at all by testing positive for COVID-19. So you could potentially have, if that's the protocol for a lot of schools and, in, and conferences, you could have your quarterback out for four weeks. Even more important from a football standpoint, what if it's two offensive linemen? Imagine having two, off imagine having two starting offensive linemen out for two weeks. Four, excuse me, four weeks? That's, you, you can't do it if that's the protocol. Here's the problem with that. That's the extreme, but that's, there's a good chunk of schools that are doing that. Notre Dame tests every week. They test their players every week. Arkansas tests players when only they're symptomatic. All of Arkansas athletic, are, they're just testing players that are only symptomatic. Here's, here's the scary thing, and this is just being honest. If you ask me, like, like Jeff, if you said, Mike, put yourself as an 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid at UCF, you guys remember – I wasn't very athletically gifted, but I just had to survive being the hardest working guy in the court. Like that's just who I was. That's who I am. That's the way I played. And a lot of guys are wired like that, especially at the high level of if I'm sick, I'm brushing it off. Guys, I memorized the concussion test so that I could, I could get, a, get out of missing games and practices if I had concussion symptoms. Truly. I memorized a test. I had, wow. by the way, I had five concussions at UCF. I probably had like eight. You had five? Five, yeah. So um, I, I, I would never tell anybody if I was sick, ever. I didn't want to miss practice. I didn't want to miss a game. I was just wired to be the tough son of a gun because I was doing the thing that I loved and nothing was going to interrupt me from doing the thing that I loved. Not even the antibodies in my, like, like that sounds stupid to say and think, but that's the way I was wired. And that's the way that thousands and thousands of guys are wired. Right? So you look at a school like Arkansas who is only testing 
for symptoms. I mean, are you kidding me? I, I, there's a, absolutely, I, I, if I had symptoms, I wouldn't say I had symptoms because I wouldn't want to miss practice or a game. Think about the mental health of the athletes. And if we're trying to quarantine during the season, if you're trying to be alone in your dorm room for two weeks straight during the season, let's say you were healthy, you went all the way through it. We just got out of a pandemic. You might've been home for three, four months, not able to leave your house, especially if you're up in the Northeast. Now, if you're in Florida, you're being asked to quarantine at home. You're not supposed to be doing anything outside of going to the grocery store. And then you get back to campus, you start playing, you fall back in love with your teammates, playing the game, the coaching staff, the film sessions, the practices. And then I'm asymptomatic. I test positive, but I'm asymptomatic. You've got to sit out for two weeks. I would mentally really, really, really struggle with that. Because I think that what I would do is coming back from that two weeks of being quarantined, I would try to make up for those lost two weeks, which isn't the right thing to do. But I guarantee you that, that some of those initial practices and games would suffer because I'm thinking that from a competitor only standpoint of where I can't let my team down again, I got to play even better than I did. And every time you do, every time you try to do that, you never end up performing at your highest level because you're overthinking it and you're trying to do things out of your comfort zone. So that was, a, that was a little bit of a rant, and I'm sorry. What I'm saying is I think it's really – we need a universal protocol for all of college athletics. We need it right now uh, because we can't have schools sitting players out for four weeks and then other schools only testing when they're symptomatic. Um, it also the reason why we need to have a universal protocol for just, I'm talking NCAA, you know, just, just a complete oversight. You can't treat the athletes like a Petri dish, man. Like you just, you, you can't do it. Can't do it. You guys know me. I think we, we need to figure out a way to play. I just don't want to treat the athletes like a Petri dish. That's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, it's, it's the part that I get worried about is, how are you going to justify to student athletes in any sport that, oh, you go play for our entertainment here and run through all these protocols and do all the stuff that you're no normally doing uh, as normal as possible. But, oh, by the way, we're not going to allow any other students on campus, right? Oh, um, that, that, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, that's, if I was a student athlete, I would be, I'd be losing my mind at that. I'm like, wait a second. Am I a student then? Well, here's the reality. Um, is I think most athletes uh, don't care if their students on campus. They want to play. Parents are the ones that will be the most concerned about this, and, right. and rightfully so. I, I would feel the same way. If your university is saying it's not safe to be on campus, what are, what, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, what, what, what are we actually what, – what are we really doing here? Right. Um, we have to trust – there has to come to a time where – you know, I'm in the middle on this, right? I mean, I think I tweeted this out the other day. Like, I don't believe this thing is a hoax by any stretch of the imagination. But I also don't believe this thing is the end of the world. Um, where's, where's the middle ground? If science is telling us and our leadership, the presidents of schools are saying it's not safe to have students on campus right now. I mean, what, what are we really doing here? You can't ask. You can't ask the athletes to do that. And that's where, that's where coaching 
you know, the head coaches need to come in and say, okay, like let's, let's pump the brakes here for a second and figure this thing out. But every, but we're, we could talk about this for days and weeks. The reality is every school in every state is operating differently. Yeah. And that's, the- that's, that's tough. That's, that, that's, that's tough. That's why I'm all for spring ball, football, basketball. I think there's something cool to be said to having just a huge spring season of all sports, not to say there's a being a guarantee of a vaccine, but if think if, if you gave leadership, if you formed a committee and you gave leadership, okay, what, what is it? Uh, is it, are we in June? We're in July. We're in July. I'm, I, I don't even know guys, you know, like I, know. The quarantine, I don't either. I don't either. <laughs> July, August. Okay. July, August, September, October, November, December. If you gave him six months to develop a plan, like presidential leadership, instead of a leadership, you can bash the NCAA all you want. I mean, those guys are still really smart. I've got to think in six months' time, you're going to be able to come up with a really great universal protocol to start this thing. Because yeah. if you don't play, if you don't play, you talk about a lot of money thrown around at college athletics. You're about to see a lot of programs completely dis- dissipate. Well, and Mike, and to back that, I mean, there's 347 basketball programs in division one I. I mean a lot of focus on football but that's 300 i believe 347 a ton of a lot of basketball programs are out there and i think you mentioned this and i want to give a shout out because you're on weekly with mark daniels on the beat of sports on 96.9 uh the game uh, on iheart in orlando and i think you brought up the idea you could actually play the season starting in february just expand on that idea that you brought up on the radio well, it's just kind of like I like to just push it back. If we just don't know, if we're clueless, because none of us are doctors or scientists, I'm all for listening to scientists. But I'm also, I refuse to cower in fear. So let me find the middle ground. The middle ground for me is I don't know what this is yet. I need more time to figure out what this is. So why don't we push it back to February at the earliest? you know, and, and, and go February, March, April, May, and, you know, maybe get, maybe get to May and do May madness, May madness, know, or yeah. May, May, May mayhem, you know, change it up for one season. Um, football, the same thing, pushing it back just so we have more information. I just think more information gives us a better plan. Um, I, I, I'm, you guys know me, we should figure out a way to play. I just don't, I don't see a way in which we can play safely in the fall. I don't. We're all going to have to live with this virus forever. It's not going anywhere. Um, we're all going to have to figure out a way to, to, to work and carry on our lives to do this. But I'm okay with figuring out a way to do it safely. Like I don't just want to open up the floodgates and say, go crazy. Let's figure out a safe way to do it. Time gives us a plan. That's why I'd like to see go to February. I think I think football and I think football should get pushed back too to January and February. If you need to push back basketball even longer, and then people will say, you know, Lopez, people will say like, well, what are you going to do about the next season? You, you push back the time frame a couple months and you start a couple months later. Football and basketball are different. Football needs more time to rest. You need more time to prepare, which is why you probably would want to start. If you, if you had a spring football season, let's just use it as an example. Let's just say you started in February, mm-hmm. okay? 
when would, if you started in February, help me out guys, because you know college football better than I did. If you started in February, when would the season theoretically end? So if you started early February and pretend like early February is the same as early September, like Labor yeah, Day. Yeah, so you're talking yeah. February, March, April, end of April, conference championship games would be beginning of May. So right, May. right around that, right beginning of May. So you would be May? Yeah, beginning, beginning of May, right around the beginning of May. Be, yeah, yeah. You need to give – you'd probably – you'd need like a month off for the players, and you'd really want to push that back. Like if you're starting in – if you normally start in September for college football, just push it back to the end of October. Push it back a month and a half, you mm-hmm. know, or, or even start in November. And then the following season, you'd be able to catch back up again. For basketball, you probably could start back on a normal time frame. Uh, you could start back in November like you would normally do because the reality in basketball requires less rest and recovery than football does. Like you really only need about two weeks off to get your body back to feeling healthy for, for basketball, especially, well, I'm just talking specifically college basketball. You really need about two, three weeks off before your, your body and soul is itching to get back out there on the court. And, and if you only need two or three weeks off, you come back to the second semester of summer school and you start rolling time in the fall, it would be, it would be an easy transition for basketball to push it back. Would you see, all right, let me ask, so this is the last one I want to ask you about COVID-19. Um, let's say Mark Emmer called you up tonight and said, Mike, you're my one person coronavirus college basketball oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, task force. What do you want the schedule to look like, and how would you set the protocols for for um, for all schools at the NCAA level? I think anyway, which way you look at it, this season is not going to be played normally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you'd condense the non-conference season. Um, I think you'd probably cut you you you'd end up looking to cut your non-conference games in half. Um, I think. Um, could you see them cutting it to like just just cut non-conference altogether, and we start January first, possibly? Well, a lot of a lot of low to mid-major schools wouldn't be able to survive because you need that you need that money, uh, you need that that um, that that uh, visiting team contract money, mm-hmm. um, and I just can't. You guys know me. I think just the entire idea of Power Five is just a complete joke, and it's it's just a sham. Um, and it's like the most ridiculous elitist model of all time. And um, we talk about equality a lot in sports, and we should, and we need to, and we always have to be on the forefront. Okay, if you're all about equality, then you need to play non-conference games because there's a lot of schools that need that cash for their budget. Most schools, low to mid-major schools, rely on that for sometimes even half of their budget of going to play at Duke, going to play at UCF too. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's important for that. I just don't know if we're trying to limit travel. I think cutting the non-conference in half would allow the limitation of some travel. It would allow um, the season to be a little bit more spread out in case you did need to rest your players more, whatever the case. And I think it would, um, it would force teams 
to take non-conference even that much more seriously. Um, and we're just talking college hoops, right? Jeff, mm-hmm. you're not making yeah. me the czar for college football too, right? Because I couldn't bear that responsibility. <laughs> no, no, no. We're gonna um, no. We're, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Lopez in charge of that. But yeah, you you're need, you're in charge for college basketball. Dayton needs non-conference for seeding in the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah. Gonzaga needs non-conference, even though it's sad that they do. It's just that's that's the way it's set up. You need non-conference, but you can't have teams travel all around. Um, if I was in charge of the state of Florida for college basketball, there is absolutely no reason why every single Division One team in the state of Florida should play some type of non-conference tournament. I, I, it, Thank it, you. It would completely <laughs> – it, it if you don't want to do that, you just either have an inflated, lazy ego or you're completely numb to the quality of basketball that that tournament would bring. Um, it would limit travel for – for teams, especially teams that it like for like Stetson in North Florida, it costs a lot of money to travel across the country to play, you know, to play Missouri or at Kansas, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's costs a lot of money. If you could get, you know, top 50 net quality games uh, by staying in your state and just driving a couple hours, you should be all for it. And if you're Florida state, if you're UCF, if you're Florida, you want to play that that only increases your net i mean you know playing playing an opening round game against bethune cookman would be it's the same thing as if you're having bethune cookman as your home opener and then you have a chance to play miami and florida and ucf florida gulf coast yeah north florida i mean like we talk we talk about teams north florida is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country last season you tell me they couldn't couldn't upset and you know i just Makes no sense not to not to do that. The problem why you can't have that universal Jeff is Florida's an outlier. They're, you know, Florida and California, or North Carolina are outliers. You know, uh, Kansas you, can't have an 18, 18 tournament in state. Yeah, but you could maybe do like you 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 divide those into like a couple of different states, right? Like so, maybe like Kansas and Nebraska form like a mini region, something like that, right? You could you could absolutely just more travel. Yeah. A little bit more, but you're right. I mean, there are 13 Division I teams in the state of Florida, and you're right that there's no reason you couldn't put together a decent um, non-conference um, Well, you could bubble it, too. Event. Yeah, you could bubble it, too. You so. could bubble it. And um, I, I think it would be awesome. I think it would be awesome if you, had a, if you had a Sunshine State bubble tournament, non-conference tournament. I think it would be great. Mike, you and I have been on the Sunshine State tournament bandwagon for a while. And yeah, I think it would be – it would be so good for the state. It would be so good for the, for the sport too. Um, I, I'm good. I, I know you've got to get back to work here. Uh, Brian and, and Eric, did you have anything else you wanted to uh, ask Mike? No, I just want to say thank you, Mike. This is the most excited I've been in a while since we've been in this pandemic. I just hope we figure it out and get, get to that basketball season. You and I are basketball junkies. I just hope we get there somehow soon. Amen. Yeah, I, I just – I think we will. I think we should. Um, uh, but I think we should do it safely. Yeah. Well, I, here's to uh, you and uh, Annie and the kids staying safe. And uh, here's to uh, – well, hopefully we'll have some more basketball coming our way. Uh, are you going to be uh, – how close are you going to be following the, uh, NBA, the NBA stuff? I know that we're all going to be watching as much as we possibly can on TV, but – that's going to be an interesting uh, situation. Have you seen the videos of uh, the guys showing their hotel rooms, by the way? 
No, I haven't, I haven't seen those yet. Some of them were like, they, 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 were, they were posting pictures of some of the food they were getting. It's like airline food, basically. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, well, welcome <laughs> to the real world. Yeah, um, I know, right? You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, but no, they'll be all right. They'll be all right. I feel like this, Disney will take care of them. ESPN will take care of them. Your teams will take care of them. But um, yeah, I'm, I think we're all foaming at the mouth for, uh, for sports. I'm actually excited to not have fans in the stands. I think we're going to get to hear more chatter amongst the players. I think it's pretty oh, cool. I, would love I, think, that. I think it'd be fun additional content. I would love to have every player and every coach mic'd up. Yeah, man. And put it on a 10 second delay and just show us what the game is really like in the trenches. I mean, that would be a lot of fun. That's, that's the future. It's not going to be open the floodgates like that, but that's the future for sure. That's not hoping. All right, Mike O'Donnell, where can people uh, reach out to you, Mikey? Well, you can always yell at me via Twitter. You know, it's uh, M-O-D, the number word, then uh, the number four, and then the word three. So M-O-D for three, you can always yell at me there. I'm happy to engage in polite and sarcastic conversation <laughs> with anybody. And, a lot, and also Star Wars content, obviously. Sorry, you're breaking up there. Say it again. Uh, I was going to say Star Wars content, obviously, and Marvel Any content. Any day, man. Yeah, I'm always ready for that, man. I, I, I can't wait. I mean, when's the, the, Mandalorian when's the next coming out too? I was going to say season two, the Mandalorian is coming out soon, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. I just, just put it out already. Like, what, I don't understand what you're waiting for. Man. I don't even care if the effects are done. We need more, more content. You're okay with, you're okay with away. seeing grid lines and stuff, right? It's totally fine. I don't care. I, I, I don't <laughs> care. Line it up. Let's go. All right, Mike O'Donnell. It's good seeing you, but take it easy. Uh, stay safe and uh, we'll holler again at you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We'll be back with more after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com, where we are keeping an eye on, as what Mike O'Donnell was talking about in the previous segment, uh, keeping an eye on what. Uh, the latest news on coronavirus and what this may mean for the fall. Obviously, you know, it's still early July, but some news dropped today. We were talking about it throughout the week. And is the Ivy League the canary in the coal mine here? Well, we found out today that the Ivy League has uh, announced that all fall sports will, will be canceled. They will not have any sports, any Ivy League sports, until uh, no earlier than January 1st. Now, it's not clear, guys, whether or not the Ivy League is uh, is planning on moving some of the fall sports to the spring, like football, for example. They, it, it feels like they left the door slightly ajar for that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, but this was this might start the. Of course, initially, what happened was all the Power Five reporters were coming out and saying uh, this has no impact on what the on what the major conferences are going to do, um, <laughs> to which we said, yeah, okay, uh, because uh, remember that uh, the, the Ivy League was the first league to cancel the basketball tournament, and they were raked over the coals for about, what, 18 hours, Murph, and then finally everyone else pulled the plug. So... Um, I don't know what, what do we make of this right now. I think this is. I think we're starting to see like a slow motion version of that. It's not going to happen as quickly as it did with basketball, but it might happen. But it may indeed happen. What do you think here? Uh, yeah. First of all, this was kind of this kind of became expected news once you sort of read the tea leaves and the insider reports of where everything was going. Uh, 
so yeah, to just just clarify what you said, no sports before January first, twenty twenty one. They did they did say the fall sports could be played in the spring, but that'll be re, that'll be revisited at a later date. Uh, winter and spring sports, they did not give a definite timetable or even said if they would go on as scheduled after the year. All student athletes uh, would get extra year of eligibility, except if you're a if except if you're going into your fifth year of competition, in which because it's the Ivy League and they don't allow. Uh, you know, red shirts, uh, like red shirt seniors to, yeah. um, to play out. They also don't give out athletic scholarships, too. We should right. clarify, so too. If you, so, if you want to play for a fifth year, then you need to talk to your own university and have your, your own university your, your own university give you a waiver. So I do think anybody who says that we shouldn't draw anything from this to football, I, I think is being really short-sighted. Because, yes, I understand the financial impacts – are, are, are total 180, depending, you know, based on what the Ivy gets from football, as opposed to like the power conferences, your power schools, and college football. But certainly they're taking note of this, if nothing else. They're absolutely taking note of this. Uh, and sort of seeing like, well, one conference did knock, did knock out all of fall sports for the entire rest of the year, which makes me think that if you are running a volleyball program or a soccer program at the FBS level, uh, that that is sort of, that that is really giving you a real roadmap to sort of look at and 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 see if it fits your own um, financial books because if the Ivy's done it, we've seen other other conferences follow in basketball, uh, and now I think with sort of with the non-revenue sports like soccer and volleyball, I think the same thing could happen uh, in in the power conference. Eric, what do you think? I agree with Murph and uh, Paul Feinbaum made this point on Sports Center. He says the people that are taking note is the presidents of all these schools. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the egos with the Power Five ADs, I wouldn't listen to them. Oh, yeah, we're not going to worry about it, you know. But the presidents take notice because, let's be honest, every president of a university likes to think themselves as, hey, the school that I'm in is pretty darn smart. We got great education. Well, there's nothing higher than the Ivy League. So I think they take notice on this. Um, so I agree with Murphy on that. That while I think you're going to hear a lot of grandstanding saying, well, that doesn't affect, you know, we, we won't do what they're automatically what they're going to do because, you know, our situation is different. We have TV money. Eh, yeah, it's easy to say that right now. But in about three to four weeks, you're probably going to come down to the same conclusion more than likely, uh, barring some drastic changes. I think Murph brought up a great point, Jeff. And let's bring this up here because this affects both of us. I know you in, in particular and the, the Ivy League. And ever the meet the mainstream media is going to focus on football. I get all that. The fact that the fall sports for the Ivy League is out that means that's one spot in the NCAA tournament is not available. Uh, the Ivy League will not participate. I've been told that the Patriot League's probably going to follow suit with the Ivy League. And let's be honest, I think other leagues like that are probably going to follow. How in the world, Jeffrey? Are we going to have any sort of an NCAA tournament in soccer, volleyball, uh, or even cross-country, if you want to throw that in there, at all this fall? I just don't see it. I don't see any way. I, I agree with you. It'll either be, at best, if that if that trend continues, and we don't know for sure, obviously, right now, but if that trend continues, I wouldn't be surprised to see the NCAA, at, at best, truncate the tournament and just not award those bids, or you know, we may have a situation in all sports in the fall, just like you know, old school football, where you know we uh, we announce a national champion <laughs> based on polls or some sort of other formula because 
you know, it, they're, they're going to be very reluctant, especially if the virus is still raging into late into the fall. They're going to be very reluctant to bring everybody from everywhere else. You know, it, we, we all talk about all the time about travel for the NCAA tournament in every sport and how much of a uh, and how much of a logistical lift that is every year during a normal year, let alone when all of this is going on. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I don't see how they are going to be able to formulate that. We might see we might see polls <laughs> determining national champions in well, no, some of those I, other sports, if, if don't we, you think? Well, here's the thing. I mean, there's two fronts on this. I do agree on one thing. The Ivy League, I personally, I've talked to people. I don't think they're going to bring football back. I don't think they're going to bring fall sports back in the spring because they don't make money. Actually, they lose money from football. Uh, their money maker actually is basketball. That's where right. they're going to get hurt is, men's ba- is basketball in general. Um, the biggest question for all these schools, and we'll get back to the football, but, you know, because everybody wants to worry about that. I think these bigger conferences aren't going to just shut it down right away. I think you're going to, this is going to be a delayed postponement. I could see a scenario where the bigger conferences will maybe scrap the non-conference and see what happens maybe by October. And then if it doesn't, they're going to try to push it into the spring. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bigger question I have is, can these athletic departments as a whole, and I know there's differences, but as a whole, can they actually have a spring where you have your spring sports and football. Let's say that's the direction this is going. Because I think we all kind of feel like this is the direction it's going. And credit, hey, Danny White said this many weeks ago. So this is not, you know, I think Danny White may have seen this coming. So can an athletic department handle having football, having basketball, men's and women's, spring sports, and soccer, volleyball, and cross country? I think that is the biggest question that no one's going to bring up because everybody's focused on football, and I get it because of the finances, but that's the number one question is can a university and an NCAA handle all of that or are the fall sports maybe going to be out of luck? You know, That's the biggest I, question. I, I, it, I, it may be a case by case basis because, as you guys know, I mean, division. When we talk about Division One outside of football, that's three hundred some schools, and some of them have the. Some of them could pull it off because uh, of you know, it, like I said, they don't have football. They don't have to worry about all those resources. There are, uh, and I do think that the larger, um, richer schools in Division One can pull all that off if they move it to the spring. I think once you start getting to like your Sun Belts, your uh, you know just like we talked about before, your Conference USA schools, your your FCS schools in particular, it's going to be a real heavy lift for some of those schools to be able to pull off football in the spring and everything else too. Um, you know, a, a school like UCF can say, you know what, let's do it. We'll figure it out. It's going to be a little wild, but you know, may, you know, maybe we won't have you know the you know, quite the staffing that we will, that we would have normally. Of course, you don't have, if you have, if you play with limited or no fans in the stands, um, that may free up some staff in terms of marketing, game day operations, those kinds of things. But, uh, you know, to work other sports when that happens, but uh, it may be a university by university basis. We're going to see, you know, and I think this is one of those things where the NCAA is going to have to try and step up here because uh, what sort of, is the NCAA able to facilitate financial relief for some of those programs? Uh, are they going to 
lower their, uh, you know, make some exceptions for certain standards in terms of travel. Travel is going to be a big expense, obviously. Uh, are they going to lower the requirements for certain programs uh, in terms of travel parties and and things like that, scheduling, whatnot? It's going to be a really, really tough lift. It, we're, you know, we're lit- athletic programs right now are literally walking on the moon as far as we're as far as as far as figuring all this out. And uh, I don't know. This, well, is, this and, uh, you, and if you thought the last six months was wild, wait till the, wait till you see the next six months. This is going to be crazy. Well, and ske- well, and scheduling is going to be a big, interesting dilemma. I mean, just from a regional standpoint. And let's be honest, I, I, I personally think if all the sports are moved to the spring, I think they're all going to be shortened seasons. I don't see a scenario where football has played twelve games starting in February. Uh, do you, Murph? I mean, do you not agree with that? Or do you think they're going to try to squeeze in twelve? I just, how can you justify saying, yeah, we're going to play twelve games between February and June, and then come back in the fall? Yeah, right. No, I think. Well, we and we hit a little bit about on that with with Mike O'Donnell and his suggestion of playing only conference games, as you've heard many people say, because you would then allow them a little more time off in the off season, and maybe you can have a normal fall twenty twenty one football season if it comes to that. No, you could not. I don't think you could have a twelve game season plus a bowl game uh, in, in starting in February. Yeah, I, I agree. I just at the FBS level, I I, I really don't think that we're going to see bowl games. I, I I'm oh, highly no. skeptical of. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, I know. I know you're heartbroken, Eric. I really think we're going to see. You know, it'll. I'll be shocked if we see conference championship games. Um, oh, no. I, I just I just wonder if if you know if the FBS is going to pull out all the stops to try and have a, a four-team playoff at some point. Um, man, I like just, right now? Like right now? <laughs> right. Uh, well, I mean, they would do it without the conference championship games, and um, and They've those would it. be the last three games, last three games of the year, and determine and determine a champion because They've they know that'll the be ch- they know that'll be big bucks, right? So yeah, but you're gonna have to get a, everybody's gonna have to get a haircut at least, I and mean, that's really should be the goal is make sure you just get a hair you just gotta have to get take a haircut and not have to shave your head. That would be my advice to all the athletic departments. Don't worry about what you're losing. Just try to you know keep your hair at least. That would be the for, metaphor. For right there, I really thought Eric was telling ads to get an actual haircut and wasn't using that as a metaphor. <laughs> right, right. Well, well what? A, well, you know what? That is a remarkable segue, Eric Lopez. Because speaking of haircuts. Some programs are getting them. Uh, some of them sort of UCF adjacent. First, the, the big news that came down today, uh, Stanford, long, uh, long renowned for their athletic prowess. I forget what the percentage, like they have a, they have the highest percentage of their student body that is student athletes. And, and Stanford takes extreme pride in the number of sports it offers. They are cutting 11 of their 36 sports. Now, most of these sports uh are uh, and and I'm trying to pull up the list here um most of these are not a lot you know not ones that you're like wow that's a huge that's going to well, be a huge hit but, but men, I mean, l- let me l- let me list them off let me list them off here so men's and women's fencing field hockey lightweight rowing men's rowing co-ed and women's sailing squash which I couldn't tell you how it's played even if you showed it to me uh synchronized swimming Men's volleyball and wrestling. Stanford is one of the few programs that has held on to wrestling all these years. Uh, was a much bigger sport back in the day um, across the NCAA. Now it's not, but um, 
that's uh, they they announced that they are cutting those sports following the 2020 2021 season. After this, that's it, and they're firing all the coaches and the and the and the. Uh, I mean, you're talking 200 plus athletes, 20 some coaches, um, and uh, and this is something that I, I said this before. Like Stanford takes tremendous pride in all of the in offering all of these sports, right? I mean, they consider themselves, you know, kind of kind of like you know the whole uh, you, you know the, they they take that well roundedness very seriously, and so for them to pull the plug on these sports, I think, is a really big story and. Uh, and is you know possibly indicative of what we might see coming down the pike. Now, granted, they're still well over the NCAA minimum for sports, but um, but that's that's you talk about taking a haircut. That's a haircut right there, right? It is, and you know, men's volleyball. First of all, those sports you mentioned, Stanford had won a combined twenty national championships in those sports. Yeah, these aren't uh, bottom feeder sports. Now, granted, I don't know how many. I don't know how many other schools compete in squash, but no, but, but <laughs> they're still there. No, but guys, I mean, where do you think all these Olympians we see every four years in these random in these sports come from? I mean, yeah. they don't just right. they don't just pop out of the air. Murph, you know this living in the West Coast. I mean, uh, and credit to our friend Colin Sherwin who tweeted about this. Men's volleyball right now is in critical critical uh, uh, shape as far as the college game now. Because Stanford was a power, a big time program in men's volleyball. That's where you develop players to play in the U.S. national team that competes in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Well, Colin tweeted this out earlier. Uh, volleyball, there's now only 22 Division One men's volleyball programs. We're down to 22 and 25 in Division Two. That is an insane wow. low number, and they only give out like four and a half scholarships per sport, according to Colin. Uh, per team so it's not like it's the most expensive sport in the world but it's disappearing why because a lot of schools have partly title nine but a lot of schools have chosen yeah we just don't we just don't have room or we don't want or don't need men's volleyball uh some schools have chosen to go the beach volleyball route or, or other sports so men's volleyball you can make the argument as far as college is dying and if that dies, you wonder what the future of U.S. volleyball in a national stage. I mean, think of Karch Karai in those days watching the Olympics. Is those days numbered? Yeah. Uh, or, you know, that's that. So what people snicker at that, this has a rippling effect uh, out there in the West Coast, Murph, where those Pac-12 schools take a lot of pride in producing uh, athletes to go to the Olympics. I mean, absolutely. I don't, I don't really know what I can add to it. it it is just, it is. It was a little jarring to see a school of of that high of standard cull that many sports. I understand they're down. They're not. They're down to twenty five, so it's still well above that that limit, like you said, Jeffrey. But still, when you cut eleven sports that have won and, and so many have won national championships and have turned out Olympic athletes and and top level, uh, you know, athletes in their sport across the nation, um, it's a it's a it's a wake-up call. Um, it's another one in a series of wake-up calls we've been having for six months. Well, and, right, and, and this is a result. And, and you know, we keep talking about the Power Five. Oh, they'll be fine. I keep telling you guys, the Pac-12 is not as as great of a shape as people think. Their TV deal with the Pac-12 network that hasn't gone smoothly. They don't have the packages like the SEC or the Big Ten or now the ACC. 
it, it, they, they, you want to talk about what are the, you know, the, as I've been told, the Pac-12 is going to make sure they have some sort of football at some point in this calendar year. Uh, don't assume that the Power Five will be just fine a year or two years from now. There's could be a rippling effect that the Pac-12 could be in trouble. And I think this Stanford news is is just the beginning. I don't think yeah. they will be the last Pac-12 school that we're going to talk about dropping sports maybe uh, at this ratio. Well, uh, ancillary to that is the is the Pac-12 CEO group uh, is uh, rumored to be uh, thinking about buying out the contract of uh, of Commissioner Larry Scott um, and uh, it, and basically ending his tenure early. Um, so there might be some serious movement uh, again on the Pac-12, like you were talking about. What is that going to look like in uh, in the coming months? I don't know. We'll have to see. There's been some other uh, haircutting uh, closer to UCF's orbit. ECU's athletic director uh, sent an open letter out to uh, to ECU fans, um, saying that uh, it, uh, uh, this is a quote from the letter. Uh, it's likely we'll have capacity restrictions at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium for football, whether that be fifty percent, twenty five percent, or less. Um, well, they've sold approximately 10,500 season tickets. That does include their student ticket allocation. Basically, he's, he's laying the groundwork for them to um, only allow season ticket holders, maybe not even that many. Uh, in addition, uh, mandatory five-day furlough for all athletic staff members, in, including coaches, five days of leave without pay, um, just to try and get the budget back in line. Um, now I know it's say five days, but that's basically one week of pay for every uh, m- one week of pay that they're clawing back. But um, ECU is showing some signs of being in financial trouble. Meanwhile, Houston, uh, twenty twenty one fiscal year beginning September first for the University of Houston, uh, they are getting a uh, there's going to be a reduction. Of, this is according to Joseph Duarte, uh, seventy seven point five percent reduction to Houston's athletics total operating budget for the fiscal year. A reduction of 18 athletics administrative and support staff positions. Uh, so 18 people are getting laid off. Uh, budgets across the Houston administration are being slashed by 10% across the board. Sports programs will each have a 5% budget reduction. Uh, and they are telling the coaches, schedule locally. Uh, build, do more regional non-conference travel schedule. Basically, bus don't fly. Um, Tex, you know, Houston being in Texas and in the South can do that, obviously. But this is starting to get a little scary now. You know, Houston we thought was actually in pretty good shape. I mean, they spent all the money on their coaches. Uh, yeah, and that, now well, some would argue that's the problem. You probably that shouldn't have spent may, so much on the ogres. Maybe that. Maybe that is. Uh, on the other hand, ECU we know has been in some financial trouble for some time. Um, and now that seems to begin to be coming home to roost. Uh, well, you know, well, you know what part of the problem is this? Because I know the ECU situation very well. Because I've actually – Terry Holland used to be the athletic director. Remember, he used to be the former Virginia men's basketball coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to I used to, I got to know him a little bit. Uh, you know, they, used, they hosted a conference softball championship nine years ago. And he actually uh, – I know I'm bragging here. He gave me a tour of the, the football stadium. You've been there, Murph. It's a beautiful stadium. Um, well, they were they were doing construction when I was there. Oh, okay. well, Daddy Ficklin is. I, I I will say it is one of the best stadiums in oh, it, yeah. up there in the America, no doubt about it. But go ahead. Exactly. Correct. 
But part of the problem that ECU ran themselves into, because I remember I talked to Terry about and I talked to a lot of people at ECU. They had all these boards. And why? Because during that time frame, guys, they were trying to get put themselves in a position to get an invite to the Big East. That was the pitch. We could be a Big East program. And Houston, they've spent all this money because they're trying to put themselves in a position to say, hey, we could be part of the Big 12. Well, the problem is neither of them got what they wanted out of the deal. Well, technically, ECU did just like UCF. It's just not the way they were hoping. No, but that's a big difference. And as a result, add to the fact that ECU football has struggled immensely because this was all based. That's why they're losing a ton of money at ECU. So this is a it, it, this kind of goes back and this is the problem. These athletic departments want to cry poor and this or that. Look at how they're spending their money. When you spend your money, uh, cr- you know, and, and you want to justify because of this pi- the goal or a pipe dream, we want to be this or that. What happens if you don't get that? Well, they now, put it on they put it all on the, the credit paper. card. Well, you know, it's about time. You know, it's getting close to paying time now. That's the problem uh with these schools and um look, that's why if I'm in, if I'm a school that's not in the Power Five, let me ask you both this: What is the purpose of playing in the fall with no fans? What's the benefit? Depends on what my television contract is. Okay, I mean, you tell me. If you're the Amer- if you're an American, uh, you know what what do you really? Is it worth playing in the fall with no fans, or are you better off waiting till the spring and see how it looks and play in the spring, hopefully with fans in the building? Worst case scenario, you play with no fans. What's the uh, give me the pluses and minuses in that? What what's is there why the urgency to the to playing in the fall to me should not be there if you're not in the Power Five, in my opinion. Well, I well there because might be some, there might be some Power Five schools that could that would probably struggle without some without some of that oh, game. I, I think agree. if you're I think if you're in the American, I think there's varying degrees of can we survive it. Um, UCF, I think, could. USF, I think, could not. Uh, you know, ECU, I think, would have a lot of problems with it. Houston might be okay. Um, that That's kind of where, I mean, the, we've said this time and time again, the American is where that gradient is, right? So, it, it's, I personally, if, I, if I'm standing there in Danny White's position, I would say, look, I want to try and get as much revenue as I possibly can for this fiscal year. So if I if there's a possibility that I could have a sold out stadium or close to sold out stadium in the spring rather than no fans in the fall, give me the spring. Because at least I'm going to get the extra concessions, I'm going to get the parking, I'm going to get the tickets, I'm going to get all the, you know, the merchandise, all the goodies that come with football season. And also there's going to be this sort of honeymoon period and I think you you know, there's probably going to be quite a bit of attention paid to the end plus we got a good team coming back. But if you're ECU, you know, I don't know. That's that's kind of a toss up. Uh, you know, how good of a team do you think you're going to get? You know, and that's mm-hmm. where it, and that's where it comes down on the coaches. Like you got your coaches got to be honest with you. Like, is this a rebuilding year or not? <laughs> but honestly, though, I know I'm going to be honest though. I think most athletic departments this year could care less what the win loss record is. They want to get games in to get some of that money back. I really do. I don't think I don't think this is about, hey, can you win nine games? No, no, it doesn't matter. Get the games in. Brian, you tell me. What do you think? Do, am I wrong in thinking? And, and look, O'Donnell in his, mentioned it, and he kind of influenced me on this. Was the, you know, 
Is it the end of the world if you wait a few months, six, seven months in the spring? Maybe you get some fans in. Maybe things are better. At worst, they're not, and you're still in the same situation you're in now. But what's the what's the what's the negative in waiting? I don't under I just just don't feel there's a need to be forced the issue here. Because you want to get that money sooner than later. Like that's kind of all that really boils down to. You're scared that in six months it may not be different, and now we're now we're really screwed. So let's try to push through as much as we can and try to be like on our P's and Q's with everything and see if we can actually pull this off, even though it's highly, highly, highly unlikely. But, um, you know, you know, we, 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 we could we, if we shut it all down, we're taking the risk of, of falling back to spring with no other fallback plan past that, because if it goes if, if we can't play in spring, now we're talking about sports being shuttered all over the place. So we're really, it's really just a kind of a selfish but financially driven point of view of like, look, these, these departments need money. Football drives most of these departments anyway. Season's coming up. Let's see if we can play it. Should we wait six months to see if this virus cools down and we're in, it's a better, if we're in a better situation like, like globally? Possibly, but, but, but if it's not, then, we're, then, we're, then it, we're really screwed. So let's try, to see, let's try to do as best we can right now. Unfortunately, what that looks like right now it's just a lot of strong-headed ads, kind of like driving into the wind. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Obviously, we'll see here in about three or four weeks. Probably by the end of July, we'll have a lot of news on FBS-level football as far as what they're going to do. Because you know, guys, spring training or uh, excuse me, I got baseball in the mind for some reason. <laughs> uh, 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 fall camp, uh, as far as like full padded practices, are starting uh, August sixth, August seventh for most teams. Uh, and so you can't go into there without having a plan for the fall. So we're going to have some major news by the end of this month, I would imagine. Um, but right now, oh, it, no it does look like the only reason why you want to move forward is because we need this money to prop up our, the rest of our programs. And we, if we fall back toward the spring and that and nothing changes, then we're really screwed. Well, well I, I think you just I think you described the Power Five mindset there. Like if you're the Big Ten, for example. If you're the Big Ten and you know that the weather in the spring is not ideal for you, I think the Big Ten, Murph, I think you just described everybody thinking in the Big Ten. I think they're the ones that would be the most willing to say, you know what, we're just going to play. If we don't have to have fans, so be it uh, because we got to play now. <laughs> what about the I Mac? Because they're usually like, ah, we don't have any fans anyway. Well, and that's the other point, Jim. <laughs> that's a great point. I could see some conferences say, we're just not going to play, period. We're not going to play in the fall. We're not going to play in the spring because we actually save money. Like if you're the Mac, you you lose money, and that's what's so dynamic. Well, no, the the Mac. This. The, well, the Mac. If if the Mac doesn't provide that inventory to ESPN, that's what really hurts them, don't you think? Not really, because here's their problem. Their money maker is the, the only way well, they don't make money. But the only way they get some money is a buy two things, buy in games. In other words, when they go to right. Ohio State and they go to Michigan, well, if that's gone, <laughs> that you're not going to make any money, and then. Because your TV packages are usually those Tuesday, Wednesday night games. And I don't think going to give you that slot in the spring when there's other sports going on. So if you're the Mac, if you're not going to get those non-conference paychecks, what's the point of having a football season at any point? So that's why every conference is different. And every school, to be honest, has a different situation. That's what's unfortunate is that this is very complicated. Murph's right. 
That's why I don't see anybody as far as the major conferences doing anything. If anything, they'll postpone the season. They'll look, hey, we'll just scrap the first couple weeks. We'll push it back. I don't see them making any decision similar to the Ivy League that that aggressive. I don't well, see them making that aggressive of a decision. Well, one of the other things that we have to bear in mind here is that these ADs are posturing themselves in order to so that they can still get those season ticket deposits and that sponsorship money too for the year. Okay, that's that's the other thing I think that's uh, that kind of gets missed here. Like for example, it's just like with the college presidents over the last few months saying, "Oh, definitely we're going to open campus. Uh, we will have classes in the fall." And now all of a sudden, there's you know the dominoes are starting to fall, saying, uh, "No, actually we're going to have." Uh, we're going to have virtual class. I think the Ivy League also announced that, uh, that they're going to have virtual. So, because what they're trying to do is get those deposits into the bank account. And if you can get those deposits, you know, at least you got something to work with here, right? I mean, and, and it's, it's, it's shady business, right? Oh, but listen, but all of this is, is motivated by economics. I mean, let's not be, let's not kid. I mean, <laughs> the, the NBA is not coming back and playing in a bubble at Disney World to have 22 teams because for the for the goodness of the competition, they're doing it for economic reasons. Well, they're doing it oh. to, to fulfill their contractual obligations to ESPN and Turner. That's what they're doing. <laughs> Correct. It's called financial motivation. All of this is financial motivation. That's why I, I respect them Ivy League and, and and what they're doing because they they're not they don't they're not driven by that they're not that's not a big that's not a thing to them well so, of course because they uh, don't have a television contract like no, that but you know, I mean they do I mean, they do have a TV contract with ESPN that you know where they basically have an Ivy League network and they put all that stuff on ESPN streaming but yeah, you know is is that is is that the bulk of the pie in terms of their athletic revenue no it's not. No, basketball is their probably their biggest money maker there. But look, there's something to be said that maybe you know what? Maybe they have it cor- pri- their priorities correct, and everybody else, maybe all of us, the rest of us, don't. And maybe well, they're. It's also nice when you have a twenty-five that, when you have uh, a twenty-five they, plus billion dollar endowment that you can rely yeah. on. Too. I know now. I know people are going to yell at me yeah. and be like, "Actually, endowments." Well, actually, your endowments don't go toward athletic problems. Listen, are you really going to tell me that the Ivy League is a poor is a bunch of poor institutions? I don't think so. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, also I want to butt in there with the last thing Elo said because most of it's been correct is the priority that that the Ivy League has right and and to, to insinuate that the, the, that college football doesn't have their priorities in, in order. Let's not be fooled. The priority, as you said, is money. So right. That is the priority. Their priority is in order. They're looking after their money. If you go well, we want to look after our student athletes first. That's hilarious because the the NCAA laughs at that. Um, <laughs> So no, their their priority is in order because they're. I mean, like it's like saying the system is broken. Like no, this bro- this broken system is working fine. It's just really flawed. Right. Um. Uh, so yeah, I just want to say like the, the, everything that the, the the college football wants, everything that everything that college football prioritizes, that's on their mind right now. That is strictly a, a financial point of view, and that sounds obviously people with you know people in higher ups and ads presidents say that's really callous, but you, you can't. There's no way. If you gave them a truth serum, they would disagree with that because this makes their entire departments and their universities run. Right, you're exactly right, and, and I and it's it's harsh to say, but and I hate saying it, but it's true. It's like, you know, from my perspective, the reason why the Ivy League quote has their priorities straight is because they can afford to have their priorities right. straight. Their That's priority why. actually is not money, <laughs> <laughs> and right. good for them. Um, good for them. I mean, that's yeah. why they're smart, and we're not. Um, well, we, you know. 
Well, except the, well, except except the major league baseball. Not every not everyone who's getting into an Ivy League school, I hate to say it, is is, is the sharpest is the sharpest no, pencil in the box. Eric, I will say that. Did you just say that Major League Baseball is smart? Uh, that's correct. Keith Oberman brought up uh, backs up Jeff's point. He has mentioned m- numerous times that the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Brian, as you know very well, uh, went to a uh, Brown University Ivy League school. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. Going to an Ivy League school doesn't make you smart. I think right. I think Bob Manfred is actually proving that in the in real time. Yes, he yes, yes. Proven. Correct. That's what Keith, that was Keith Oberman's point. He's not the he's not the only one. Are there smart people who go to Ivy League institutions? Yes, there are. I know many of them. Are there some not smart people who go to Ivy League institutions? Absolutely. <laughs> maybe maybe they had people take the you know maybe they paid people to take the SATs for them. Easy, easy. We did have a scandal on that recently. We <laughs> no, no. Listen, yeah. don't, don't go. Listen, Eric. I, I know you have a crush on Aunt Becky, but no, 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 no. We're, listen, she she deserved don't what she got. Felicia, don't forget Felicia. And Felic- Huffman. Felicity uh, Hoffman. You're right. Felicia Hoffman. I loved her on Sports Night. Great TV show. Feel free to binge that here when we have no college sports in the fall. Now let me. Bring- <laughs> One more thing, because I'm, I'm, me and Murph brought this up many episodes ago, and now everybody's jumped on this, and I'm kind of annoyed now with it. The fact that, well, you know, the NFL ain't going to move their draft, which we can't have the spring season. Yes, you can. Sure you can. Murph can back me up on this. For many years, Major League Baseball did a draft during the college baseball season, not only during the college baseball draft season, but during their postseason. So I don't want to hear anybody in football complaining about, well, they're going to have the NFL draft in April. We can't have a spring football. Look, accept it for what it is. Yes, some of your marquee players aren't going to participate in the spring because they're going to get ready for the NFL draft. Good for them. Tough luck. Get over it. Stop whining about it. I totally agree. I, I hear people talk about how, you know, they don't want to hold it in the spring because that's when the draft is. And you don't want to have players uh, uh, bowing out of football. Like, that'd be a really tough decision for them. Like, no, it would not be a tough decision for them. No, it's an easy decision. <laughs> easy decision. Look, if you know you're going to be a first or second round pick, and all of a sudden it's like week eight, and you want to take care of your own personal interests, your own personal interests, go ahead. Good for you. People will absolutely lose their minds because it's not like what we've done in college football. But again, people have to understand, like, like these kids. Uh, have to put their own interests interests first, especially when they're when millions of dollars are on the table for them. Yeah. So well, if we have a if we have a draft in April and that's like week seven of the college football season or whatever it is, I have no idea. And they and, and these players decide to hang it up because they, they they've got you know uh, millions of dollars waiting for them in the first first or second round. Good for them. Go get yourself your yeah. bag. It's That's funny. Happen. It's funny how people clutch their pearls when college football players all of a sudden decide to become capitalists. We hate we hate college athletes having any sort of initiative. Well, that's really. the, well, right. Well, and that's why I think a lot of schools are secretly don't want to play in the spring because they know they're going to lose a good no, some a, a good number of starters from their team for various reasons. Guys, they so want to. Another reason draft. we're pushing pushing forward here. And, yeah, uh, is well, it, isn't that why we give out eighty five freaking scholarships? Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you. Yeah. So I don't want to hear about lack of depth or any of that stuff. Thank you. You got 85 scholarships. Hey, maybe now you get to use it for a change. Uh, So I'm all for that. By the way, Murph, I believe I'm looking this up since you asked. The NFL draft is scheduled for April 29th through May 1st, which if I'm not mistaken, isn't that the weekend of the Oscars now and their new date? Oh, God. 
I did not see that one coming. (laughs) It's actually the week before. Oh, you died that one. Uh, okay. Well, no, 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 no. Even if that was the case, like the Oscars would have been Sunday night. The draft would have been over by then. No, you don't under no, Jeffrey, you don't know. I've been with Murph. There, there's a big preparation here on, on Oscar Day. He's gotta get every you know, he's gotta get his picks in. He's gotta know where he's gonna watch it from. I mean, this is not just, hey, I'm just gonna tune in and watch. This is a this is a big prep big prep, big day for Murph. It's one of your biggest days of the year, isn't it, Murph? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, this is not even a joke. It's kind of up there with like MLB opening day, which is really stupid because MLB opening day should matter a lot more than the Oscars, which is just, um, uh, just a, a, a well, I could use a very vulgar term for what it is, but it, it doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't. Um, it's just you know a happy, friendly like let's have let's let's congratulate our friends for for faking their own feelings for two hours. Uh, and so I understand like it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't really matter. But for me, I understand it's absurd. And yet I love it. I can't wait to see what the what like what the protocols and what the the breakdown is because this this year in film has been so screwed up. I've literally watched I think four movies that were that came out this year. Or no, I've watched four movies that came out this year during quarantine. Like like are we gonna have Sonic the Hedgehog for Best Picture? Like probably not. But uh, I will say, I, I want again. This is like my Jim Carrey, best supporting actor for yeah, I know. Sonic like the Hedgehog. It's, uh, anyway, <laughs> what if know, he wins it? Oh my god! <laughs> By the way, this brings up Murph. We, I, I'm going to ask this question now because our friend Trace, uh, we him and I, him and I were talking. Hope he's enjoying his vacation. We asked, we were wondering about this question, Murph. If you can only pick one of the two following for the next year, guaranteed, you're going to have new. This will be original content. Not like old games or old movies. You can only pick one of the two for the next year, guaranteed no interruptions from coronavirus or anything. Would you pick a baseball season uninterrupted by this virus or new movies to come out uninterrupted? Which one would you pick? If you can only pick one. Oh, can I go into the, can I go into the theater? I know I know which one I'd pick. Can I if I can go into the theater, I'd probably pick movies. Woo-hoo! Wow, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Yeah. I, I'll tell. I'll tell you. I would pick. I would pick baseball because I feel like uh, writing in new movies has gotten really stale. We have way too many remakes, way too many sequels, oh, and we need to. Devil. We need to get our. We need to get our writers and producers yeah. back under the. You know, back grinding out new ideas and new scripts here, Jeff. There are plenty of new ideas and new scripts. They're all very independent. You just got to go look at independent films. It's a fantastic medium. The reason why I chose movies is because, every, like as we say, like with baseball, like every game is different. You'll see something you've never seen before in every game. Well, yeah, that's kind of true. But most baseball games do follow a certain script, and they are kind of repetitive, and they kind of blend together after a while. Baseball is not a, is not an event spectator sport. It sort of just blends together, and you have these moments uh, that are punctuated of excitement. Each movie for two hours can be its own like work of art, not just in script, but the way it's shot, uh, the way it's set, uh, the music it uses. So it, it can be every movie. Every movie can be a different thing, even if, even if it's covering similar topics. So because of that variety, and I think that 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 n- novelty, I would rather go for a full year of uninterrupted movies if it meant I had to sacrifice a baseball season. Wow! Mm. So it. 
but now you said if, as long as you can go to a movie theater? Yeah, I love theaters. It's, it, it, I look, I've watched, I don't know, more than uh, about 100 films or so in the last four months. And I, I, I have no problem sitting at home and watching it. And I've watched 20, 20 films that probably should be on the big screen. I've watched it at home. It's been fine. Um, but there really is something about that whole like theater dynamic of like when the lights dim and everything is sort of like, you, you really just get locked in. I get really locked in with this. Oh, I love it. So well, yeah. I, well, since 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 you so so since you picked movie theaters, that means you're bypassing on following Danny Winkler, who's with the Chicago Cubs, Murph, on the 60-man roster. This was uh, we found this out after our last episode. So it's, this is what's called the segue here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Danny Winkler, UCF alum, with the Cubs, and what impact could he have on the Cubs? I don't know yet. I, I'm pretty sure he is there only for depth. Uh, the Cubs bullpen isn't great, but uh, again, he is a guy that they're they're really relying on as a depth piece, depth piece more than anything else. If a bunch of guys go down with injury or or get coronavirus, you've seen in all these player pools, people are loading up on pitchers. Um, for good reason, because in short season, when guys might not be, not, may not be stretched out, uh, and you might have a higher incident, a higher incidence rate of injury, you need to have as many pitches as possible. So I think that's why he's on the 60 man. Uh, but yeah, we missed that last week when we talked about uh, Dylan Moore and Drew Butera and Bo Taylor. But yeah, so we have four UCF alums in the 60 man player pool. We'll see what happens here if baseball can survive the next uh, 14 days. <laughs> is very very. Uh, problematic and and iffy at this point. What yeah. what, what are your more what what's more likely? Ben Lively throw start uh, throws a pitch in the KBO or ba- the MLB season starts in the next couple of weeks? I think Ben Lively's back before the 23rd of July. So I mean, not to say that base, base, baseball could start on time, but I think Ben Lively's back within the next two weeks. There you go. All right. What happened to Winkler? By the way, he was really good at Atlanta. I thought out of the bullpen, it just uh, as he just thought. I mean, what? I mean, he was pretty good there. He had a couple of years there where I thought he was pretty good as a reliever. No, he was. He was very good. He had well, he had one year where he was basically unhittable. Um, it was a little bit of a fluke year. Just kind of got some lucky contact rates. But um, but no, I mean, it's 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 just relievers, man. The turnover is amazing. I mean, you look, you talk about it every year, like oh, this closer is great. Those that closer can be gone in within two years. The turnover rate for relievers. You know, effective relievers in Major League Baseball is still, you know, massive, which is why you have more money than ever being paid to relievers because those guys are huge commodities if you're really good. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, I'm glad we picked up on Danny. So we got four guys in Major League Baseball. We got uh, a couple guys in MLS was kicked off tonight, actually kicked off as we're recording. Orlando City getting the first win of the MLS's back tournament, beating Inter Miami uh, two to one. Um, scoring a goal in the 97th 97th minute. minute yeah so we t- you know we've talked about obviously last week's show we had Warren Craval or not last week earlier this week I should say Warren Craval from uh, Philadelphia Union joining us we're thankful for Warren make sure you listen to that show uh, Sean Johnson obviously is back um, and a number of other players with uh, USL um, but interestingly enough Eric Lopez you informed me today uh, yeah. one of them is not and is not available for uh, any team. Is that right? Correct. We talked so much on that episode, Cravel, about Cal Jennings. He was a first-round draft pick in the Super Draft, not just a draft. Remember, it's a Super Draft uh, by the FC Dallas. Well, it turns out, past the deadline, he didn't sign with FC Dallas. They didn't come to terms. 
And I think the reason from what I've been told since is he wanted to weigh all his options. You know, it's kind of like because, you know, if he signed, he was probably just going to start out at the USL level. I think he right. just wanted to see what his options were elsewhere, whether it be internationally. Like in Europe, right. Back, right. Or anywhere else. And so. Uh, so Cal Jennings is actually was was not going to be a part of FC Dallas. Is not a part of the USL as of now, and it'll be remains to be seen what he decides to do uh, with his career and moving forward. That's uh, so that's kind of an interesting story. Of course, Jonathan Dean was drafted with Orlando City, but he's no longer with that organization either. So it's kind of weird. The MLS, it's kind of like the baseball draft where a team takes you, but if you don't come to terms after a certain deadline. Uh, you could become a free agent too. So uh, it's a very unique situation. So we'll have to see where Cal goes. So hopefully uh, uh, he finds a spot that he's happy with and uh, we see him on the pitch somewhere soon. Well, we were, you know, we were initially looking at the possibility that maybe he would get out there, but I guess that's not going to happen with FC Dallas. We just, you know, it's a bummer. But wherever he lands, I hope that, uh, you know, I mean, what a time for that to happen where, you know, all of a sudden the virus hits and and he's without a uh, and he's without a spot well hopefully he's able to land somewhere in europe i know obviously there's travel restrictions but uh i don't well, know we, ne- just, we need mean, to see we need to see cal jennings on a pitch somewhere man because that guy is way too good but he might decide to sit it out i mean which wouldn't be the worst idea in the world with everything that's going on i mean that's the thing it's he's still young so he might you know if he doesn't he might not be in a rush with everything that's going on like you mentioned uh, to go anywhere or sign anywhere right now uh, and be forced to do anything. So who knows? It'll be interesting to see what happens with him. But that's the story on Cal Jennings uh, in his deal. But you mentioned the other guys. There are other guys in the USL and things like that. That gets going as well. So uh, hope for everybody does well and stays healthy. Yeah, I was. I wanted to bring up those names because UCF Men's Soccer actually uh, tweeted them out too um, in the USL. You know, we talked about, obviously, Sean Johnson with uh, NYCFC, Warren Caval with Philadelphia Union. Uh, uh, Jonathan uh, Dean is playing for the Memphis 901 squad um, in uh, in USL. They they begin play on July 15th. Kevon George, who we mentioned before, he's playing uh, with the Charlotte Independents uh, of USL. Romario Williams, uh, he will they'll actually face off against each other on July 22nd. Romario Williams is with Miami FC at the USL level. And, of course, Haji Barry uh, with the uh, North Carolina squad, uh, they play at Tampa Bay uh, in uh, in USL action uh, on uh, July 17th. So six guys in professional soccer, two of them in MLS, uh, that we're looking forward to seeing. And we hope they stay healthy and uh, and stay productive. You'll see those USL, some of those USL matches you'll actually see on ESPN2, which is kind of cool. So, um, so again, that's, that's a good thing to see that we're getting some sports back and seeing some UCF guys out there, that should be uh, a lot of fun. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, Eric, we're working more on your uh, top one. We're coming down the stretch here with the top 100 male athletes and the top 100 or top 80 uh, uh, female athletes, and then we're going to get to coaches pretty soon here. Yeah, we got the we're down to the 30 to 21 range on the female and the male. Uh, we're getting down there closer to unveiling the top 10. Who knows? Maybe next week. We might do a recap of the rankings there. Murph might critique all my rankings. Uh, that could be. Uh, that could be. He could be like Cisco and Ebert. Just critique we are, my rankings. We are. Ca- we are causing a stir on Twitter with all of these rankings I too. Know. Eric. It is. It's been a lot of chatter. So I'm appreciative. Some not. That's okay. That's the beauty. It's got chatter, and uh, I've enjoyed looking back in the past instead of 
looking at the present, uh, what's everything's going on. So I haven't been a very appreciative <laughs> of it. I've enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see how the conclusion comes out. Uh, Cal Jennings, uh, will he be in the rankings? You'll have to tune in, find out. Uh, see, we got some numbers to go. So, yeah, the male and the female rankings coming down to this conclusion here in the coming days. And then, as you mentioned, after that, we're going to unveil the top 40 head coaches in UCF history and then the top 30 UCF assistant coaches of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun. Murph, what do you got? What do you got coming up? I, I think that's what we should do next week is just have a, a podcast of me asking Eric about his rationale behind the rankings. I mean, <laughs> it's probably better than anything else we're gonna we might have next week. <laughs> yeah, now that now that you've said that, <laughs> we're, something's gonna drop, and then look what's gonna happen. <laughs> well, I hope I hope not. I've got it here on my script, Murph. We're we're gonna unveil our top ten Central Florida sports editors of all time. <laughs> Ooh. And. Uh, you're you're in the mix. Uh, who's going to be number one? Is it you? Is it Padraig Brewer? Or is it a Trace Trouco who was a sports editor in the 90s? Or Tony I, uh, Mejia? Maybe Tony Mejia. I, I win the award for sports editor of the Central Florida Future who ran the most wire copy to fill space. <laughs> award I win. Did people just bail on you, Murph? I'm sorry to hear that. That's, that's... No, By the way, <laughs> they bailed on you. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, salute to Murph, who has a great article on the C.J. Walker, uh, yes. you know, going to UCF. That thing has done big numbers, a lot of great feedback there, Murph. You did a great job breaking down that decision process. It was fantastic. So uh, salute to you on that. Yes, well, I, I, I also wanted to thank you, th- thank you for your lead where you talked about, you know, we don't talk about recruiting a lot in these parts, but ah, we'll make an exception. <laughs> we don't. I'm, I'm just talking about the truth there. Jeffrey, we literally write about two or three or four recruiting pieces a year. I know. I know. It's because I hate recruiting. I mean, if you guys want to write more about recruiting, I mean, I'll let you. I'm fine with it. I just can't stand it. I'm not a huge fan. I mean, well, again, we write about it on signing day or leading up to signing day. But, but other than that, you know, because it's not it's not official, it's really hard to write about. Yeah. I mean, if one of you guys wants to become a recruit, Nick, I'm all for it. I just don't don't drag me into it. I, I don't want it. I, I, I I don't want to do anything on it. <laughs> and yeah, fans, yeah. fans, if you want, if you want recruiting news, let us know. You know, and and <laughs> and I'll and I'll tell someone else to go do it. I mean, you know, it's fine. Anyway, I'm uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the lead, and I don't I don't believe that was facetious in any way. Uh, <laughs> no, it was it perfectly did. accurate. <laughs> no, it really did. It did a lot of. Bi- I mean, people, like, I it did big numbers. It was very, uh, and it's that you know, look, it's not every day you get a five star. I mean, well, that's it, the reason why yeah. I think it does big numbers because it is a historic, it is an historic moment for the program landing a five-star player for the first time ever. Uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's what it is. I believe also uh, was it Darius Perry? I believe was a four-star player coming out of high school. So he was another mm-hmm. four-star player. We were going through all the and did, did UCF have a five-star player? We were going through in our group chat about all the other four-star <laughs> players UCF has had. I believe Darius Perry was one when he came out uh, of high school. And now he's on UCF as a grad transfer. Anyway, one thing I want to bring up before we go is uh, the the North Carolina positive tests. This is kind of a, a small impact. We don't know yet about, uh, you know, you, you, North Carolina is going to play U, UCF uh, in a football game here, so I hear, in about two months. We're less than 60 days away from this game between we, North Carolina and UCF. We hope. And report was reported Wednesday night that uh, among the uh, – of the 429 – COVID test that North Carolina Athletics administered among players, coaches, and staff, 
37 of those tests, 37 of those 429 tests came back positive. As a result, football practice, you know, obviously most schools are going through voluntary practice right now. Voluntary practice at North Carolina has been shut down for one week. Uh, now, we again, we don't know what this means in terms of their, their preseason schedule, um, but certainly it's something to note considering, again, we are now, I think, 59 days away from the scheduled kickoff of UCF football season. All right. Well, we got that coming up and uh, plenty more. It's just a lot of news, and uh, and we'll be keep keeping on following because you know we we're we're just like you guys, folks. We want to make sure that you know, the news is coming at us, you know, as it you know, as it happens. And what does it mean for UCF? Some stories have an effect on it, others don't. But we're trying to figure it out as we go along. So, um, thanks again to you guys, Eric and uh, Eric and uh, and Brian for the. <laughs> Hello. I'm sorry. I'm looking at these Ivy League highlights, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, thanks to MOD too for yeah. I wanted to uh, yeah. Huge thanks to Mike O'Donnell as well. You can follow him at MOD the number four three on Twitter. You can follow Eric and Brian at Eric Lopez Elo and Spokes underscore Murphy uh, respectively. And thanks again to uh, everyone else on the staff. It's just been fantastic in dealing with what we've got. And you know we. I, I wish sometimes you guys would. I, I wish I could show sometimes our our group DM on Twitter because wow, we talk about a lot of stuff on there. So um, it's but uh, it's a fun thing. But you know the news comes uh, hot and heavy every day, and we're trying to figure this all out as we go along. So uh, thanks always to you, the listeners. You can always follow us at UCF underscore Banner at Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banner at, and of course Black and Gold. Banneret, your home for UCF Sports on SB Nation. Thanks once again to Mike O'Donnell. Thanks to you. For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you next week.